This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Ahoy hoy, comrades. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I've got a wonderful subject to share with you. Production and all things related, courtesy of my conversation with Jack Hartley. He's a producer of note, hailing from Adelaide. He's worked with some of the most integral bands to the Australian heavy metal scene at circa 2022. We dive into his thoughts on the production topic and a range of other subjects I'm sure you are going to find interesting. So here he is, producer Jack Hartley. Andrew, how are you, mate? Good, mate. How's things? Yeah, very well, thank you. (laughs) Sounds like a rocket ship's going off there behind you. Oh, that uh, that might be my uh, overheated laptop. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. gotcha. It's yeah, good. it works. It works pretty hard. What do you What do you run? Do you, is that your door as well? Is that where you put your door uh, onto? Yeah, I've got like a like a, a portable workstation where I've I've mirrored my my desktop. Um, so it's kind of like a redundancy system and a, um, a you know a portable studio. Um, and it's a, a Windows PC um, uh, and um, made by a fella in Victoria, Vin from Avon Technology. Um, so, yeah, it's essentially just, you know, anything goes wrong with the desktop, I bust out the laptop and I'm good to go. <laughs> bit, of, bit of a custom build, yeah. And, and you also need redundancy, don't you, for almost any situation you're involved in these days, don't you? A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I don't really feel comfortable having one of anything, really, so... Spoken like a true musician, right there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I gig with. I, I've got a gig with this weekend, and I'm, and I'm bringing three bases because I've had I've had two fail on me in one night. You know, so the three. I've got two amps. I don't have two speaker boxes, but I don't need that because we're going through the PA. Um, of course. But that's the redundancy right there. But yeah, two cables, two wireless, two wirelesses. What <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you've got to. You, if you don't, I, I've had, as I say, I've had every combination of failure occur over the last twenty yeah. odd years or so. And there's, and it always happens just as a singer looks at you to go, "We're ready to go, guys." And you go, "There's nothing," and you're like, "What is it this time?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm. Haven't played live in a few years now, but um, that that was always the case with me too. Always two guitars and two or three cables and and a redundancy of everything. But particularly in the studio, um, you know, one less cable than you need and it can shut down a whole session. Um, so so yeah, I've uh, I mean I to be quite honest, there's there's some things that are. That freak me out you know even going into studios with big consoles and stuff i, I often wonder well what happens if the console goes down and yeah. uh obviously there's there's not going to be two of them hanging around but um but yeah such such as life in the uh music industry murphy's law it is murphy's law i even had to i've even had a situation where, where i was doing a duo gig or play guitar as well and doing an acoustic duo oh, right. singer and i was playing the acoustic guitar and one half of the club we were playing in shut down. The electricity just went whoosh like that. <laughs> and he goes, what the, what are the manager he goes, yes, it was you that did it, but we should have told you not to plug it into that one socket. There's like 
There's there's not many sockets, as you know, in most venues. There's like four. Yeah. But out of the yeah. four that were available, I had to plug it into the one that actually shut down that side of the venue, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and I was like, what the hell could that possibly be, you know. So that's uh, – then yeah. there's, le- there's lessons in all of these scenarios, but very few outside of just bring two of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, still, I still meet and work with uh, – lots of musicians that just um, fly by the seat of their pants kind of thing and, you know, take one guitar to a gig and, and one cable and, and stuff like that. And I just think, man, you know, how, how are you not uh, riddled with anxiety? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, more power to those people, you know, I'd love to be a little bit more easygoing, but yeah, mm. two of everything and um, even a third sometimes. Even a third. Decent gear, spend, spend money on quality gear, buy from a retailer or a vendor online that you trust that you can, can go back mm. to if there's a problem, that sort of thing. Like I use Base mm. Centre in Melbourne. Those, if there's a problem, I just call up those guys. But I've never had anything from them that have failed. But it, sometimes I had to call them for advice, like with these Music Man bases, the bloody battery packs are cactus. Yes, yeah, right, yeah. I, I, can't, I cannot understand why a company with the with the branding and cachet that it has continues to produce. When I say continues, mine are about twenty years old, but mm. I know the new ones are no different. I've had a look at the battery packs. You know, it basically it works as a lever to eventually saw itself off. Yeah, I've probably yeah. seen them. And yeah, I know the ones. So you have to bring three bases if you play music band. Or two two five strings for me and a four string. And yeah, uh, right. If if I don't. Um, as I say, I've had two bases fail on one night. So that's the reason why I bring the three. It's rare. It's like out of the, at this stage, hundreds of gigs that I've played, it's rare for it to happen. But still, you know, it's uh, it's all in a day's work, mate, when you're a musician, I think. A hundred percent. The gig you uh, decide to only take one will be the gig that you need to. Shocking, mate. Shocking, mate. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well, look, thanks for reaching out. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, particularly with the body of work that you've created so far. With, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to do a massive intro to it, to what we're talking because I want to talk about things. You know, in the intro, I sort of, do, sure. you know, what the podcast is like. I tend to just go boom straight in. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And then you listen to the Eric Rutan one, which is probably one of the best ones I've done. I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, I've to sorry to cut you off there, but I think I've I've listened to pretty much all of them. Um, like I'm a pretty hardcore podcast addict, so to speak, and um, particularly that after the long sessions in the studio when I'm I'm just kind of there by myself and um, packing up cables, packing up mic stands, and doing mindless work. Um, I uh, I'll throw on a podcast, and the Scars and Guitars podcast has been been uh, on heavy rotation. I think I've pretty much listened to them all. In fact, I listened to um, the uh, the Immolation interview you did uh, yeah, last night as I was packing up from a session. They're all yeah, great, yeah, aren't really they? Good. Those guys. One one of the things I find about talking to those guys sometimes we take it offline afterwards not with ross i haven't but you end up exchanging emails and just exchanging memes and shit over social media and all the rest of it i'm, I'm mm-hmm. i wouldn't say i'm mates with any of them but you know i certainly got to know eric well and um cam yeah Lee. sure cam lee i've gotten to know really well um kurt from metal church yeah, is another sure. one um these guys they, they're all right it, it remains to be you know it, it goes without saying they're human beings but like I can't think of any other genre of music, maybe outside of jazz or blues, where you can really get get up close and personal the way we do. Provided I think you carry yourself with authenticity, mm. I like to think I do. But you know, I think think when you when you've got a 
a passion like we do about this sort of music and especially because I'm a, I'm a journo and there's that opportunity to have conversations with them and, and dive into like you picked up on the cradle of filth uh, members there just just go there just what, what do you got to lose this is what I can't stand about yeah. I, I name and shame as you probably know if you listen to me but you know these <laughs> metal injection kerrang or what have you they just ask bullshit mm. questions these dudes mm. all got they fucking look the part don't they they got the long hair and the tattoos <laughs> and all this shit but it's like yeah. they're not they're not trained to get deep mm. in with people and go mm. why did this happen why did you do this tell me about this person here Mm, yeah, um, the the Cradle of Filth, you know, series at, at this point that you've done on the uh, the kind of uh, you know classic lineups uh, at this point um, are fantastic. I think I've listened to them uh, more than once, uh, several times even. Um, hmm. uh, the Nick Barker, Paul Allender, um, Anstis, like that. That was. That was a fan. How you got Paul Allender and um, what you were able to get out of him was fantastic. And I think for a lot of fans of that era of the band, um, a lot of questions that have been kind of unanswered at this point were answered. I mean, the, the Allender one, there was a few, uh, I think at the start, you, you kind of said, you know, there's going to be a few moments of silence, but they were st strategically edited in there, um, you know, and hopefully more of the story will come out at some point. Um, and I really, really hope so, and I look forward to it. But but what is in the uh, podcast is, yeah, it's questions that, that have been on my mind for quite some time. Um, and, and yeah, what, once I found um, one of the, I think probably found the Nick Barker episode first and, hmm. and then just kind of went on a deep dive down to those episodes, I really don't think any of the other, you know, metal news or metal media or podcasts or anything have... Um, have been able to get to people to speak as candidly as you have so far. So, um, yeah, kudos on that. It's uh, pretty good stuff. Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah. Look, the Paula Lender one, what I put to air is less than half of our full conversation. Right. Um, yeah, he, he asked me to edit out and his words were every time. So we started talking and I could tell it was going to be one of those, when I say one of those conversations, it was certainly going to be an epic chat. And um, he doesn't do interviews, as you know. So I've got to be honest, yeah, I don't know yeah. how I got it either. I just, I'm on a mailing list for a heap of stuff and he's got this killing you outfit called The Unnamed Horrors. Hey, Paul, by mm -hmm. the way, is another fella that I've taken, you know, I'm not saying we're mates, but we to chat to each other a lot. And yeah, he, like yeah. we sometimes talk, you know, he's, he's called me once, you know, from the road just to have a chat. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you, right. you get Fantastic. that comfortable with people. But I tell you, like, I think I, there's a lot of trust there between there is a lot of trust there between it's because he we started that conversation and I said hey Paul look what, what I think we'll do is because he wanted to talk to somebody about this cradle bullshit mm. and I said we'll have the chat then I'll send it to you whatever you want out just just tell me I've done it before with others you know Eric was another one we took some stuff out of the Eric one um mm. where uh you know if it, you know 26 minutes and 11 seconds to 32 minutes 43 seconds if you want that out no questions asked I'm not the guy I'm not yep. after blabbermouth. I even though blabbermouth do a heap and pick up a heap of the podcast episodes, I'll sure never not. be the guy that does things for to elicit that kind of a response. And he said, yeah. "Okay, fine." And then he just it meant he came out with it. He told me what happened in the band and stuff, which uh, what I can share, mate. I think it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I do, mean, I was know. able to to read between the lines there somewhat. Um, yeah, I um, mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting story of, um, you know, that Cradle of Filth have, have to tell at this point. 
Um, in fact, I had a, a friend that uh, that toured with Cradle of Filth on the uh, the anniversary to just before the pandemic. Um, oh yeah, the cruelty, and, uh, the the the, the, re, the you know the reunion show, or whatever it was. Yeah. The reunion, one, yeah, one, yeah. one original <laughs> member. <laughs> yeah, which they kept pretty. Um, I didn't even go. They, they well, I mean, yeah, I'm just me, like, why would me, I go? <laughs> me neither. Um, yeah, I had a friend who was playing guitar in a band that was was on the tour package at, at that time, and um, mm. he had some pretty interesting stories. So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, they're 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 a fucking weird band. Annabelle, I had three. I think I'm right in saying there were three conversations lined up with Annabelle. You know, the redhead chick. Yep. Um, yep. They all fell through, and the 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 reasons that I was given were she slept in, she stayed out too late, like. The sort of things that I would think a fifteen-year-old would sort of give you, <laughs> yeah, to fuck yeah. it up, you know. Yeah. And I was like, hey, is, are they taking the piss or what? I mean, this stuff comes through nuclear blast. I mean, they're not fucking around yeah, nuclear right. blast, you know. They've got a, a schedule, yeah. but I mean, I, I don't look. And, and then and then they screwed up. And this is the big one, mate. I don't think I've shared this yet on the podcast, but they screwed up. The publicist at Nuclear Blast screwed up the time with Danny, which I've been champing at the bit to have a chat to him. Again, because right. I've had a chat, one chat to him. Um, yeah, I've heard that. It yeah. wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't in. I couldn't. That was in 2017. Cryptoriana mm. wasn't. That was literally two or three days before I had a chat with uh, Stuart. The Stuart broke. Mm. The Stuart interview broke everything open, where I could actually. I understood a lot more then, and that's that's why it's all out there for people. Because Stuart gave me his blessing. That's why I didn't touch mm. it. Edited. It. It's just all there. You know, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, and and look, so I get so many. I get, I got to tell you too, I get more comments about that Stuart episode than all the other episodes combined in terms of private messages and stuff. Yeah, right. You know, um, but um, yeah, and the, the sorry, the the publisher screwed up the time with the Danny Filth interview when I was waiting one night. And I just thought, oh, typical Danny, you didn't show up, and um, and then a couple of weeks later, I. It was, you know, middle of the night as some of these conversations happened due to the time difference. But you could see my Zoom pinging. Danny was logging on to have a chat with me at the at the what he thought was the scheduled time, but the publicist <laughs> didn't tell me. Oh, and okay, I was like, right. Such a missed opportunity because, as you can probably guess by now, I, there's no. I'll never be rude, okay, and I hope that comes across mm-hmm. in the conversations. But I will ask a little questions that I want to ask. All certainly, yeah. They can say they can either tell me to fuck off. Or they can answer it. Yeah. Or they can say, I yeah. don't want to go there. Or we can edit it yeah. too. That's the other. I mean, look, I'll, I'll give a couple of things about the cradle thing. I'll give Gian Pires, aka John. John um, yeah. I was a bit reluctant to maybe even look at, look for him and have a chat with him, but I think I need to now. A yeah, I think ago. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Robin, I just cannot find. Right. No, I, I got a, I got contacted by somebody who said they were in a band with him in 2007 and they said, mm-hmm. here's a friend of a friend, email him, see if he can put you in touch. Never heard back. Right. For the for the book to happen, I need to speak to Robin. Un- unequivocally, there's three people I need to speak to extra. There's uh, Faye Wolven, okay, the manager mm-hmm. from that era. Um, mm-hmm. Les Smith who I'm friends with on Facebook, but just never reads his messages or responds to my comments on his top, on his posts. Um, mm-hmm. And Robin, th- those three, I, I had Mike Exeter in as a maybe, who was the, who mastered the album, A, Cruel, a, a Dusk in Her Embrace, and very much yeah, in right. with that scene. Um, yeah. But uh, for the book to happen, I need to speak to those three people without question. Otherwise, I just simply, I won't get the full picture. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nick, Nick is... Um, 
Nick's an interesting character, I've got to say, because, again, we took things offline, but he um, he took exception to some of the things that I wrote in my book, the right. other book that I've got out. Yeah, I had to change sure. some stuff. Yeah, I mean, people – He look, he – Without going into a heap of detail, he apologised and said he was just having a moment. And, of course, I accepted it, you know. Yeah. He yeah. was in fucking Cradle of Filth and sees no royalties, you know. And yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. These, these are regular people, men with kids and stuff. I'm always mindful of that. Yeah. The yeah. music is just what they do because that's them, like what we do. Yeah, exactly. You know? But, uh, yeah. but no, I yeah. really appreciate you listening to them, man. It means, you know, especially you're a producer. I mean, you had some killer bands in your roster. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just such a huge fan of music and, and, um, and yeah, the, the podcast format is fantastic for that. And, um, yeah, you're, you're doing great work. So, so thank you. Keep putting them out and I'll keep listening. <laughs> no worries. We'll do. And, uh, just on the work that you've done. So in the email that you sent to me, you talked about, so, so for people outside of Australia, all of these bands that I'm going to mention are in heavy metal terms, household names. Okay. Um, yeah, truth, cor- yeah. cr- truth corroded werewolves. So you know, um, yeah, uh, I've heard their new material, um, and it's unbelievable, actually. Um, yeah, hidden in, yeah, hidden yeah. intent. I, I know Chris. I've spoken to Chris, I should say. Um, Shatterbrain, yeah. great Adelaide band. Uh, there, yeah. uh, the Antichrist Imperium. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions about recording Matt Wilcock, who's probably one of my favourite guitarists around uh, mm-hmm. these days. He, yeah. Again, he's another fellow that I exchange messages with. He just is a good bloke. Um, but yeah. there's, there's probably many more, but those bands that I mentioned, uh, in addition in addition to Falsifier, No Peace, Either Nomad, um, but Truth Corroded, Werewolves, uh, Hidden Intent, Antichrist, Imperium, all of these bands have some something of an international profile, don't they? Yeah, yeah, somewhat. Um, I mean, s- s- still underground, but um, yeah, for um, for the underground metal community, there, um, you know, it'd be hard, particularly in Australia, it'd be hard to find many people that uh, haven't heard of Truth Corroded or you know, at this point. And Werewolves, I mean, they're they're only a fairly new band, but the pedigree of the people uh, you know involved in that project goes back. Uh, years and years and years to you know some of the heaviest hitting underground uh, death metal you know experimental bands uh, that the country has has put out and um, yeah I'd, I'd, just to jump back a bit I'd have to um, agree Matt's Matt Wilcock is one of my favourite guitarists as well um, and I personally think he's one of the most criminally underrated and uh, and um, just um, just underrated and um, he, he should be a uh, household name as far as guitarists go. And he is in, in the uh, underground death metal community, but um, it's kind of part of the role he plays is um, he's, um, he's not really trying to get in the spotlight, but I just think he is criminally underrated and, um, and it'd, be, it'd be awesome if, uh, if more people were aware of his playing. Mm. Agreed, yeah. And I've got to say I'm a fairly late arrival in that, um, look, I'm on Golden Robots uh, email distribution list and all the rest of it, and uh, John John Howe sent me through a bunch of stuff, and one of the stuff he sent me through was um, uh, Shotgun Mistress. Gosh, shocker. <laughs> I've listened to them yeah, a lot, yeah. and I, I rarely <laughs> buy CDs, but I did buy Shotgun Mistress's CD, and uh, I think Matt, Matt no yeah. doubt, sent it up to me. Um and, uh, mate, I could hear the intensity in his playing in that album. That's why mm. I like it because it's like an extreme metal guitarist 
bolt yeah. tight on the riffing, mm. yeah. playing this sort of free free rock stuff. But it's it's metal, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, he's one of the most metal individuals you know you could ever meet. Um, and that definitely comes through in his playing and his writing. Um, uh, all of the werewolves guys are just just metal to the core and and and, and uh, old school death metal to the core. Um, but yeah, the, the ferocity and the uh, the fire in his playing is is prevalent in everything he does, even the shotgun mistress stuff, as you said. That's um, that's uh, you know veers away from the extreme end of stuff that he's involved with. But um, he is just yeah. It, it, Clean, um, knowledgeable, learned, um, but but with the uh, the attack and the the authenticity that you would expect from an extreme metal guitarist. I think that's one thing that maybe the um, the shred guys have, have found it hard to to do um, is you know the underground metal thing is you have to kind of be entrenched in the culture and the. Um, mm the 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 lifestyle and the you know the influences to be able to authentically play that stuff um and you know you've got you know the, the steve Vyers and the Ingvay malmsteins and the uh all of those virtuosic guys uh but the one thing they often you know lack in their playing in my opinion is is that is that hard-hitting ferocity that that you know that is more common in the extreme areas of music and uh matt's got it all he's got it all like he's got the 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 virtuosic licks and the, the cleanliness and, and all of that but um plays everything like a, a true death metal player would yeah absolutely so so when you when you're miking him up or when you're plugging him into the uh into the desk can, can you talk me can you actually give that scenario there when you're working with werewolves actually how you record matt well, well, interestingly enough, Matt's. Um, I, I've never had the privilege to to work with Matt as a guitarist, but um, he's very self sufficient, and and that with the Werewolves um, production line, I'd say, is probably is pretty fascinating in itself. Um, through throughout the pandemic, um, I've worked with Sam Bean, who um, was one of the original founders of um, the Berserker. Uh, okay. Also, Antichrist Imperium. Um, he he played bass, I think, live for the Berserker, but um, was the original songwriter and guitarist for the Berserker and and vocalist as well. Okay. Um, and um, and throughout the uh, pandemic, I've worked pretty closely with him. On to be honest, I've I've lost count at this point. They're so prolific that they come in, um, they conquer, and then they leave, and I see him again in maybe a couple of months, and we. We do a couple more albums, literally, and um, uh, but but pre-pandemic, I was I was lucky enough to to have Sam and Matt reach out to me, um, looking for me to to produce some vocals, and um, worked pretty closely with Matt on um, getting some performances and and kind of um, phrasing and stuff out of Sam. Um, mm. So, but but aside from that, Matt's pretty self-sufficient. He's actually a pretty good engineer. Um, himself, he he's got a little Pro Tools set up at home, and um, is is just amazing at pulling. You know, he, he knows how to write a song. He knows how to pull a take, um, and and he's got that covered. And and as far as werewolves go, there's there's um, a bit of a team that makes up a production line on <laughs> in a couple of states that that get the job done. So I haven't. I think Matt will be coming down. 
with the Bramble and uh, to, to play the new Dead yeah. Fest uh, in in a month or so. So I'm hoping to catch up with him then. But yeah, um, uh, I think the the first time I recorded them, they were um, Matt was present and kind of very very um, very you know contributed to the uh, to the vocal process and the vocal producing and stuff like that uh, pretty heavily. Uh, since then, they've they've just kind of had no choice but to, to hand the reins over to me and um, yep. send stuff back and forth. Um, but, uh, you know, during my interactions with Matt, I've been pretty sure to to um, pick his brain about anything and everything guitar. I mean, I, I've got no hope of, of um, being, you know, like one ounce as good as a guitarist or musician as Matt, but the wealth of knowledge he's got just even on a, on a touring or, you know, band life level is is um something you definitely want to take advantage of when you're around him but um for the most part he'll he'll track his own guitars and and he tracks as he writes um so and he's extremely prolific um he can knock out an album you know in in a week um he's he's tracking as he writes um and then he as soon as he's done as far as i'm aware he just sends the di files off to someone else you know it's uh i'm done on to the next one and um uh yeah the the whole process with werewolves so far um i think i've been involved with three or four records with them mm-hmm. um, but as i said before i've lost track um it, they're so efficient um they're so fast they're so good at what they do and I'll add that they, it's never at the sacrifice of the quality of uh, the output. It's mm-hmm. always of a very high standard, but it's it's the fastest and most prolific output I've I've ever come across in in, in any musician I've worked with at this point. Mm. Yeah, great summary right there. Yeah, look, if anybody listening is yet to check out Werewolves, go across to Bandcamp or Spotify, whatever. Yeah. They're available everywhere. Check them out. I mean, there's very few bands that are. Uh, it's basically it's different to Deicide's Legion, but mm. it's got that same intensity. It's that no bullshit. <laughs> yeah, hit you in the face. I listen yep. to it in the car. Yeah. Um. It's the new one, Death Metal. Uh, I think it's called. Um, yeah. 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 You see, I know it's not out. It's out. It's out today, isn't it? I think. I, th- I think that's that's the EP. Um, Four song yeah. EP. Yeah. 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 And I think there's maybe a couple of covers. Yeah. I think I tracked bass um, and and vocals on that one. Nice. We well, did a great um, job, man. It sounds killer. Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of people involved in that. Um, you know, again, it's a bit of a production line, but um. Uh, I, I do know as well, like in the um, the whirlwind of tracking sessions that have, have come and gone with with those guys involved in those projects, there is another one um, that's been uh, that's been recorded um, with with a very similar lineup. And I don't think I can say much about it yet. But I think um, if you're a fan of Matt's playing, and if you're a fan of a particular extreme subgenre. Uh, you'll you very much be wanting to listen to this. Um, uh, so I'm 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 not sure. Where, again, I'm not sure where they're at with it. They um they I think they've probably got albums four, five, and maybe six ready to go. Um, literally. Um, and I, I thought they were maybe taking the piss when when I first started working <laughs> with them. Um, and they weren't. They're um you know, 
album one was done and they had album two and three ready to go and and um an ep ready to go and i think yeah album four five and six is ready to go but in the meantime they've worked on another project and managed to track uh, an antichrist imperium full length and um and um yeah it's 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 to, for me it's an absolute honor to be to be involved in any capacity with those guys because i grew up um I'm, I'm 31 now and i think i i found the berserker and the bremelin and stuff like that when i was 12 or 13. yeah um i found an a bremelin cd at, a, at an old secondhand store in, in adelaide and awesome picked up picked up the cover and that's thought, the way to do it that's yeah exactly yeah the way to do it. that just one of those um you know chance things where it's like a, this cover looks cool looks pretty death metal i'll i'll get it and um and uh, it's, it's been a blast to see them, you know, back on the live circuit the past you know, three or four years or so, and um, to see Matt, Matt back doing his thing with them. Um, but I was also a big fan of the Berserker around the time they were active. Um, mm. You know, I, I found a few of their singles on their website. They would, uh, you know, post, took me hours to download <laughs> an, an MP3, but um, uh, I would kind of put them on the this little MP3 player I had at the time. That was a USB stick with a headphone yeah. jack on it. And um, I remember them. Yeah, yeah. I actually think they were really cool and really efficient. Uh, yep. I wish I was still around. But um, yeah, I, I was I was a huge fan of the first two Berserker albums. And um, when Sam initially reached out to me to work with uh, Werewolves, I kind of went, "Oh, this guy looks familiar." And um, and I was like, oh, that's that's Sam from the Berserker and was, was quite honoured to, to be a part of it. And, um, yeah, have, have forged a pretty pretty cool relationship with those guys and hope to continue kind of just being a part of whatever awesomeness they put out. Hmm. 31, very accomplished for the age, I must say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> given, given the resume. But how, how did you... Did you get into it? Was it the traditional pathway? You went to school and you mm -hmm. finished, and then you went into uni or uh, SAE, that sort of thing, and then you went through that pathway. Um, I'm largely self-taught. I mean, um, the past three or four years have been, uh, you know, like I've been doing it full time, um, but I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. I didn't go down any of the, the traditional education um, routes or anything. I um, in fact, um, you know, like I was a pretty lucky kid, you know, the, myself and my siblings were very rarely said no to, um, we weren't rich by any means or anything, but my parents were definitely the type yeah, of parents. Nice parents. Were, yeah, exactly. They would, uh, self-sacrifice to see their uh, children do anything. So when they did say no, I was aware that, you know, probably this is out of reach and, and, and SAE was one of those things they said no on. Um, I, I, you know, so I started playing guitar when I was 12 and, um, as, as soon as I could, could play a riff, I was looking for ways to capture it. And I remember, you know, stealing my dad's little handheld dictaphone at the time and, and recording riff tapes and then slowly kind of, um, naturally evolved from there from, you know, just finding yeah. DAWs on the computer in their infancy and, and um, yeah, so, so for as long as I've been playing guitar, I've been trying to capture my own songs. And when it became quite clear that, you know, I was showing a, an interest and an aptitude towards this stuff, I, you know, my parents were, were thinking, you know, well, what can we do with him to, to encourage this? And the SAE thing came up and I think it was something ridiculous, like $11,000 a semester, 
or something like that. And um, uh, around about that same time, I was lucky enough to just just meet um, a lady, Cat uh, um, Johns, who now runs a, um, a guitar repair and building workshop uh, down in Adelaide called Louder Guitars. Mm-hmm. And uh, her and her partner had a, a studio up in the hills and, and she had just graduated from SAE and and she was was not very happy with um, with the course and what she had learnt and the, the recording time she got. So being the, um, being the you know, like a intense kind of uh, go-getter she is, she decided to rewrite their curriculum in a more practical way and, and start doing um, uh, private lessons for audio and stuff. Um, and I, I met her just in a music store and uh, around 16, 17 and, and took her up on some of those lessons, but it wasn't really long before it came clear that, you know, formal lessons probably weren't my thing. Um, and she, she caught onto that pretty quick and it just became this informal come up to the studio and assist and hang out and um, yeah, pick up like, what like you can. Like an apprenticeship in some ways or a internship yeah. or something. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, that's, largely been the traditional way that uh most young engineers have learned it's been a a master and apprentice type relationship um and um yeah i I was lucky enough to to be in contact with cat and for several years would would just go up and and be a sponge and absorb absolutely everything i can and um uh eventually i started playing in bands and, and lost lost track a little bit of um the audio stuff i was still recording recording uh my friends bands from my parents shed and making noise till till 10 o'clock at night and i had very lovely neighbors that, that allowed us to do that and i'd do that once in a while but um i kind of lost focus and, and really um threw myself into the band thing for four or five years and it wasn't until my um, my mid twenties that I thought, you know, I I don't think the live things for me. Um, I, I I enjoy it. I love it. Um, I love going to shows, but um, I think I like hanging out in dimly lit studios and and creating the music and mm. and working with people uh, to to realize their vision and, and reach their goals and um, do the things on a technical level that maybe they are unable to do. Um, and yeah, from about 25 onwards, it just, I just got more and more entrenched until about um, 20, you know, 27, 28, I, um, I had enough business to go full time and um, was kind of freelancing at that point, just going around from, from studio to studio to uh, record drums or, or cut live sessions or, or do whatever I had to do that I couldn't do from home. And um, mm. then from there, I would you know, take it back to a small studio set up in my uh, spare bedroom and finish it off. And then uh, I, was, I was doing work and, and just you know, keeping my head down and, and trying to work with as many people as I could. And, Eventually, some people took notice, and I was offered a residency at um, at a studio here in town. And um, that's been the last two and a half, three years for me of working from. I've had a pretty solid home base. I haven't had to uh, worry about um, jumping from studio to studio, and um, or or um, or you know not having a separate life workspace. Um, mm. So yeah, that that in a you know, long story short, it's just it's, as long as I've been playing guitar, 
I've been trying to capture it and it was just a, you know, a natural progression to where it is now. And I'm very, very fortunate and very lucky to have a pretty loyal and, and um, sizable fan base that, you know, keeps a roof over my uh, client base rather that um, keeps a, uh, a roof over my head and, and um, you know, food on the table kind of thing. And, and also keeps me working in a field that I'm extremely passionate about. Just from the half an hour we've been talking and the amount of time that I've spent in studios in context, I want to provide this statement. You strike me as having the right temperament for doing the gig you do. Okay. Because right. I've, I've been party to some pretty serious arguments in studios with mm. producers and engineers and fairly uh, headstrong musicians who want to do their things. So is, is your yeah. overall, in terms of your philosophy, does it mirror someone like Michael Beanhorn, who you might've listened to that conversation that I had with him, um, mm. He does something called pre-pre-production where yep. he really tries to suss out what the band is all about before you even go to pre-production. So mm. do, you, do you have a timeline at which do you, you work to and can you tell me about like when a band first contacts you, what the process mm. looks like? It really depends on the uh, level of the band, whether they've got label backing or not. Um, you know, it's, so it's a bit of a spectrum. Um, in general, I encourage uh, every and all bands to... Um, to 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 do pre-production um and uh, I, I think it's essential um uh but you know for the local band end of the spectrum it might look like a band reaches out to me they have a, a certain budget and and we see what we can squeeze out of that um and then we're just kind of uh kind of going going in uh going in raw, so to speak, where, um, you know, I'm feeling them out as, as we go into the first note struck, um, they're feeling me out and hopefully pretty quickly we can develop a rapport and, and then hopefully by the end, um, we've done all we can do to, to, to have a pretty good result and a, um, it's one that makes everyone happy and, and gets what they want. And one that I feel has, has, um, gotten across what, what maybe they were unable to get across in, in, in a technical aspect or a, um, a, a musical aspect. Um, they're always, you know, varying degrees of, of um, success and result. The, uh, the, the quick rough and ready uh, local bands, you know, um, and I've been fortunate enough that, you know, over the years uh, I'm just getting better and better bands and musicians, but the, uh, when it comes to the bands that have a bit of label support and, and um, have a bigger budget and, um, and um, you know, the, the, the stakes are higher, pre-pro is an absolute must. I mean, if for nothing else, just to get a lay of the land in terms of uh, personality and dynamics, um, I like to pretty quickly um, see who the, the driving creative force of the band is. Um, I like to see um, if, if there's any kind of issues as far as the dynamics in the band itself. Um, I like to get a gauge on on what the level of musicianship is and where the songs are at. Um, but yeah, but if anything, I think pre-production is is invaluable just because um, uh, yeah, for the for the people side of things that to to go in and, and set up and, and strike the first note if you if you have a good rapport already and there's a sense of trust established, it's going to make the process a hundred times better on, on every level. Um, 
if if a band doesn't trust you and you haven't uh, you haven't done enough to to win that trust and you haven't felt out the dynamics of the band um, and, and each personality, things can go wrong that will affect the music pretty quickly. Um, but you know, like the, the technical side of things is once you've reached a certain level, as I'm sure you're aware with with your your own musicianship and stuff, it it becomes less about consciously thinking about those things, more about the things around them and, and in the context of the recording studio, you know, I've set up a microphone and I've, I've um, you know, I, I know signal chain like the back of my hand and all of that stuff. I'm not really thinking about that. I'm, I'm kind of making sure that the other ducks are in a row so that when it comes time to do all of that stuff, there isn't any anything getting in between uh, instructions to success so to speak yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah that's a beautiful way to put it yeah so so yeah i mean i i like to um to definitely get some pre-production in if if the budget there is there and the time is there um and and as you said before temperament's a huge thing um the the studio can be tense the, the creative process as I'm sure you're well aware, just outside of the studio, just in the rehearsal space, um, can be pretty tricky to navigate through. Um, and um, I think you've got to got to have a pretty good um, understanding of of you know <laughs> basic psychology and and you know yep. like and you know just on a more simple level, just not be a dick and and not exacerbate some of the problems and not fall victim to some of the ego issues that come up, you know, and I've definitely made all of the mistakes and will continue to make mistakes. But at this point, um, yeah, you, you're right. The, the temperament and the, uh, the, the way you approach things is, is everything really. I remember, God, this is the first time I think I'm sharing this story on a, on the podcast that, uh, years ago, I played with a band from the mid North coast of New South Wales called blank out and their singer, um, He'd booked us in to play uh, to to record with Richie from Super High down in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a big deal, you know. I mean, back in two thousand and three or whatever it was. I mean, they were, they were about the you know heavy metal wasn't exactly big, and mm. uh, Richie was pretty much the man of the, the preeminent guy in Australia if you wanted to get your stuff recorded. Yeah. Really, and on that front, yeah. we got down there and I could feel the mood was just foul between Rich Richie toward he didn't know me at that point. From a bar of soap so i copped no words but just definitely felt the vibe you know the attitude it wasn't a friendly atmosphere and mm. eventually him and the singer got into it over the rate of pay mm. apparently the singer had gone tried to go around the manager and go to richie and get a different rate of pay than what the manager was uh saying was uh richie's current market rate this sort of thing going off my memory here it's over right. 15 years ago yeah and i remember being on this couch sort of just frozen there as these two just you know when I say they went at each other, I'm not saying they came to blows, but it was pretty tense. Yeah. And yeah. it gave me, it actually, that that story did make my book recently and it gave me, because it went on for a while, and I, I, I got to know Richie quite well um, over the course of about five or six days that we were down there. Mm. And I could, so not knowing Richie beforehand, I thought, oh, maybe this other fella's got this, Richie's in the wrong and this other fella's got this right. But the more I got talking to Richie, the more I liked him as a bloke. And um, we just got along and then, you know, he started sharing some things with me about the industry and all the rest of it. And I could see his perspective absolutely after that, you know, mm. and, and what it was. But it gave me really deep insights straight away as to what it was like for you as a producer, even the engineers, mm. to deal with egos and personalities. And 
all the, and that was about pay. Not we hadn't even started recording yet, so you can imagine how the recording sessions went. They were tense too, <laughs> yeah. mainly because the, the bloody guitarist ended up taking up about eighty percent of the time. I think I got, <laughs> I, it, I got. I tell you what, that one session gave me the confidence that I still use to this day about studio work. Not there's a lot of studio work these days with what I'm doing, and it's all covers sure. and stuff. But sure. to be able to go in there when the clock's mm-hmm. ticking and money's going over and go get your take right, go. Yeah, yeah. Not with no fudging it and Pro Tools or whatever the door is after. Just play it as you mm-hmm. know it, as yeah. it's going to be on the recording. That's, to me, that's a, the mark of a musician. A bit of, Agreed. you know, that's, to me, that's how it should be done. It shouldn't be cut and pasted. I, st- I still feel that way, except I know there's Dead Letter Circus to all their weird shit and all the rest of it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's impossible to play from A to Z, so to speak. But yeah. do, do you find that? Do you do you play Taskmaster at times with bands when they want to come and go, I just want to do this bit and then I'll do this bit, or, you know, that yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, I, I've. I mean, again, I've I've been doing it for most of my adult life, and I think throughout that, um, I'm hoping the biggest mistakes are behind me. But I've come across it all in in terms of um, you know the the dynamics and the, the relationship and the, how tense it can be uh, mm. and what can ruin a vibe moving forward. Um, there's so many scenarios. There's there's probably too many that that that. Um, to recall right now, but anytime something comes up, I've, I've got enough experience now to go, I've seen this before. Um, I mean, yes. just as, um, just as early as the, you know, the weekend just passed, I've, I've had a band in and um, they're all very passionate, opinionated individuals. And there's not a, uh, a very well-established um, uh, consensus as to whether it's a democracy or a, or a dictatorship or a... Benevolent dictatorships. They should <laughs> yeah, all be benevolent yeah, dictatorships. <laughs> honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the bands that I work with and have the most success with other bands where there's a driving force, um, you know, and ultimately that driving force gets the final say and, and the, that person and I can can team up and just move forward without any kind of consideration as... as Harsh as that sounds, we can move forward and make decisions really quickly. Um, but that being said, that's not all. Not how all bands work. Um, so the, this particular band, a, a fantastic band, and I don't, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think they'd mind me saying that they're all, all um, very passionate, uh, you know, outspoken individuals, and, and we're doing a, a death metal album and it's got elements of, uh, of, of world music and, and Greek traditional Greek music, even, uh, you know, there's some, some didgeridoo and some clap sticks, you know, some, some indigenous instruments and stuff like that. And, um, it's very technical, very demanding, uh, music. And with all of the world music, uh, elements kind of thrown in, it makes for a pretty cool, pretty cool, unique, uh, you know, album. And, um, I think uh, one thing that's happened is, is all of these extra elements that we've uh, we've thrown at the songs. Perhaps we overtracked them a little bit, and there's a driving force in the band that's that's behind those things, and they see, seems to be butting heads with um, with some of the other members of the band as to how much of that world music element do we do we keep, how much of, of it should be prevalent, uh, how much should be cut, and on one end you've got you know, some members in the band that want nothing. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've, you've got 
a couple of members of the band that want it all kept in. And then in the middle, there's me that can see why it's unique and why it serves a purpose and why it, some of it needs to stay. And then, then from a technical level, there's parts of, of me that sees uh, why, you know, perhaps some of it is not serving a purpose and, and taking away from, from some of the better parts of this, the traditional band format, kind of you know, the riffs and the, the death metal parts and stuff mm. like that. And, um, uh, I recently had a, a tracking session one-on-one with uh, a couple of the guitarists and they've, um, they, uh, wanted me to kind of get rid of some stuff and, um, you know, kind of present it to the band and, hmm. and, um, you're, you're going to be the fall guy though on that scenario then. I'm going to be the fall yeah. guy. And, and in a lot of ways I can see why, you know, that would, you know, that it's my job to be the fall guy sometimes so they can coexist in whatever, they've got to do it together, whether it be sit in a van, you know, together or sit in a rehearsal space together and then not have that underlying tension about things. But at the same time, um, I think because there's no established dynamic, um, to me, I think it would just um, kind of mess up, uh, mess up the relationship and the, you know, the, uh, the dynamic between myself and everybody if I were to... Um, if I were to kind of let someone take me aside and and have uh, their own individual vision served, um, mm-hmm. so for for me it was a matter of just navigating through that and being like, well, how can we how can we compromise and and make everybody? Uh, you know, I, I recently heard someone say, you know, a compromise isn't everybody a hundred percent happy. It's everybody ninety percent happy. You know, like a. a a compromise should be that, uh, you know, we all might be a little bit unhappy with the outcome, but we're all equal as far as, um, as far as, you know, what we're happy and unhappy with. And for me, it was just kind of navigating through, uh, well, you know, how do we make these decisions that, that best serve the song and best serve the vision that that's quite unique for the, the person bringing this in. Um, and just a matter of getting everybody together and, you know, like easing the tension and being very honest and, and kind of having a laugh about the honesty and, and, you know, ripping each other a little bit and just kind of making it a, a comfortable environment to be like, look, we don't have to go behind each other's back to, to get our point across or to, um, you know, like get what we, you know, our vision uh, realised. Um, we can, we can be adult about this. We can just talk about, I think in any good relationship, you just, have to communicate and that's one of the the uh myriads of scenarios i've come across when it comes to that stuff it just for me it becomes um a matter of just seeing what's happening what's playing itself out um and and participating in it in a way that um that that keeps us all on track and that keeps morale high but also keeps the song number one um and um yeah i've seen it all at this point you know from um, nervous breakdowns in the studio to, you know, uh, contentious relationships between the engineer and the band, and it just it's not conducive to uh, mm. to creativity. Um, as you were saying before, you know, I've I've, I've I've you know worked with a couple of bands that even worked with DW uh, back in the day, and um, and you know, I've, you know, he's he's got a reputation, but you know, you can't argue with what the guy has done. Um, he's, he's been pretty successful in his own endeavors and, um, you know, like put out some pretty good stuff. And, um, yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, just, um, 
every scenario I've seen at this point and come across and, and I've got enough experience at this point to just go, no, I see what's happening. This is how we navigate through it. And I think, um, you know, what I'm maybe good at, if I you know, could say so myself, is it's just gently doing things that maybe, you know, maybe need to, to uh, you know, making decisions um, that need to be made, but doing it in a, in a gentle way. Um, yeah. Knowing when to push back to, because as you know, not, not all personalities respond to, to, you know, a gentle nudge. Some people need to be hit over the head with something. Um, and that's when I've got to adjust my approach to it and, and um, do what I need to do. But yeah, I, th I think there's a productive and healthy way to navigate through all these things, but they certainly do. It's the biggest part of being in the studio. It's, it really is. What's the most challenging situation you've dealt with? I mean, you mentioned of someone having a nervous breakdown in the studio, and I, I can imagine I've seen someone go, you know, after the 30th or 40th take of a, of a drum, there's something mm -hmm. on the drums, and they haven't been able to get it, you know, they need to take a walk around the block, and if they still can't get it, that's when the pressure truly sets in, particularly if you've just booked for two days. So can you tell me about, like, a scenario that's, you know, where you've really thought, shit, this is going to go sideways? Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, there, there have been a few um, where uh, a specific one I can remember, um, and, and this is, I haven't really spoken about this publicly too much, maybe in the studio it's, it's come up, um, mm. but I remember um, I was recording a female vocalist and, um, you know, we were, we were doing a 7pm session so it was it was already kind of later Nasty. in the night yeah, yeah I, I mean i prefer to get up early and, oh, and uh, 7 a.m before 7 i mean a lot of my yeah, conversations yeah. happen at four and five in the morning yeah, Mate, yeah. That's <laughs> my take on it. yeah 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 i mean i just on the weekend i worked a 17 hour day and then an 11 hour day back to back and um i, I started at 6 a.m and um i prefer to, to to get in there and and get going you know um there's there's no reason why we we have to slack off you know but um i think there was one particular yeah, this session that um started later in the evening and um i showed up and the um the the young lady in question was already a bottle of wine deep oh, uh and yeah. um i was going to ask you about your views on this so go keep, yeah keep going. Yeah. yeah well uh she um she uh she was quite a good singer as well she was really good you know when she was sober and when she was on her game she was a fantastic singer and uh, i think mm. she had a pretty long background of, of being a you know singing in the navy and stuff like that and um and uh we got in there we did the the standard run of the mill stuff checked the mics um you know developed a, a bit of a rapport and then we uh, we hit record and it was quite obvious from the first note that she was in no shape to sing, yeah. um, and the the wine kept going down as the takes kept going on, Oof. and um, it kind of I called the session when she dropped to the ground, broke down, and was threatening self harm because she was uh, not doing well and she knew it and she she obviously had some some other things she was battling that had manifested through this yeah. very confronting experience of, of not performing in front of somebody. And, um, and that was just one of the, the, the many, you know, kind of nightmare situations I've come across. And, um, you know, I myself have butted heads with certain people in the studio and, um, and that they were big, um, you know, learning 
experiences for me. Um, doesn't happen too much these days. I'm pretty good at kind of feeling the situation out and playing the yeah. role I need to play. But um, that was one of the more um, one of the more shocking ones. You know, like we're here to record some music and someone's on the ground crying and threatening to to cut their wrists or something like that. I, I'm at that point. Uh, <laughs> let's call the session and, and go home and live to record another day, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. At that point, I, and this happens quite a lot too. You find that um, uh, when you develop a sense of trust with somebody, you pretty quickly become their confidant and their, um, yes. their therapist. And a bigger, the big part of what I do is kind of knowing this person needs to talk to me right now and this is how we're going to get to the next song or this is how we're going to get to the next session or the next note. Um, you know, I have to put aside what mood I'm in, what day I've had or whether I want to hear about what they're telling me or not and um, empathise with them and make it all about them and um, and listen to what they have to say and because you know that that sense of trust in such an intimate creative environment it it uh yeah you become friendly pretty quickly and um and i realized in that session my job wasn't to capture the vocal that night it was to help this individual get home and and uh come down from whatever they were coming down from and and live to see the next day um so yeah and gladly she did so um yeah so and there's, there's lots of scenarios like that I mean I had a, a, a singer in a couple of weeks ago and um I was getting a bit tense because we we just we weren't being productive and and this person this band they'll they'll paying for the sessions and paying good money to come in but we just weren't going anywhere and um yeah. a couple of sessions in I kind of had to just go like look man like if we walk out of here with nothing on the computer or to tape, so to speak, are you okay with that? And um, they they went, yeah, like, I, I love talking to you. I'm learning so much. Um, this is really helping me. Uh, if we walk out of here with nothing, it's, it's still a, an experience worth it to me. And at that point, it eased my attention because I was like, well, that's what this person needs. Um, we do need to get things done at a certain point, mm. but this person obviously needs to have someone listen to them and, and needs to have a friend in this scenario and as, as well as kind of gently steering them towards, all right, cool, let's, let's go do a take. I'm there to listen. So you know, that's what I did. Yeah, I, I imagine that those scenarios, though, where uh, you, you mentioned a key word a couple of times in and amongst all of that, which is rapport. So you've you obviously become something of a mm. uh, you, you've developed you developed your uh, your instinct around that keenly. But but has 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 there been sessions where yeah. you've got the job done, but you haven't been able to develop rapport? You know what I mean? Where you there's just not been that that typical meeting point, but you've still got the job done. So your your professionalism, your your, your yeah. professional skills as a recording engineer and as a producer you've just had to rely on them and them alone that sort of thing yeah yeah you can't win them all um yeah. and um and there certainly have been them and there there will be more of them in the future and um as much as you know the ego would like to uh, to think that you know uh, we everyone can be friends sometimes it's chalk and cheese um there have been a couple of scenarios where 
where, um, you know, maybe the band weren't letting me in on a level that I thought they needed to let me in on. And um, I thought the songs were suffering and the result was suffering because of that. And, um, you know, I, maybe I just couldn't get past the fact that, like, you know, if you just, if you let me in a little bit more, I, I think we can get a little bit more out of this. Um, uh, and it wasn't to be. And, um, you, you know, perhaps it bottlenecked the sessions and, and I got to a point where I, um, I had to realise, okay, this is a... Um, this is this is where I rely on the technical aspects of it, and this is yeah. where I I understand that this is perhaps uh, not what I would do, and this is um, this is maybe not even one that I'm going to look back on and, and, and think job well done. But um, but we're here to get the job done, and we're yeah, here to get, get through it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 the, the the biggest challenge I think in that scenario is to not phone it in is to go because the the uh temptation to go well it's a run out the clock situation is already there and you have to keep well i have to kind of keep reminding myself um don't just run out the clock assume the role that you need to assume here and do the best you can at it and if that role is just the guy that presses the buttons and um says very little and you know has there's no laughs to be had then then that's my job but that doesn't mean i have to give any less effort or more um or sabotage anything um uh and and you know certainly the you know the it's it's the temptation's always there to um you know it's it's very hard to give to give any effort once you've uh you know realized that this is not going well or that you know perhaps you and the person of see things differently on a personal level or, or a musical level and um and um you know your job is to to just get it to the end but um yeah that, that's been the hardest part in those scenarios for me is is okay well still got to put in effort it's just not in the way that i would like to and it's it's not in the way that i personally think need I you know I need to and I'm not playing the roles I think um need to be played but um I've still got to do my job well fair enough yeah great insight mate and I'm gonna I'm gonna change track here and uh I'm gonna ask you uh, a question that uh hopefully um well who knows if you've been asked this question before so let me go there with this one okay sure. musicians are fans of musicians okay mm -hmm. uh producers fans of producers Okay, so do you have a producer whose work, body of work you look at and go, I admire that and I'm going to emulate that, not copy it or be influenced by it, but emulate it to some extent? Yeah, yeah, uh, I've, yeah, um, 100%. Um, I'm a fan of bands, musicians, producers, engineers, editors even. Um, I mean, I'm even a fan of... Um, of guys that are just uh, renowned for doing mix prep and um, you know just really good org organizational skills and and stuff like that. For me, uh, I mean to name a few would be uh, I mean Eric Rutan. I mean what more needs to be said about that guy? And I, I'm just yeah. you know kind of circling back to your conversation with him. I was I think that was uh, just as he had um, had had uh, joined Cannibal or maybe just before, but um, he at that point had worked on, on three or four albums for them. And um, 
for me, from my perspective, to finally see this guy getting the recognition he deserves, um, not only as a musician, but as a producer is, is awesome. Um, the guy's just been slogging out intense hard work as a musician and on the engineering front and producing front for for such a long time now. And, um, and he's certainly one of my inspirations. He's just... I mean, I've, I've never met the guy, but he comes across as, as such a, a gentle, nice, uh, personable guy, but with a very intense side to him. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I think you know, he just he's, nailed it. I think he just nailed it right there. I could, you know, right. the, the, the few conversations I've had with him, that's a, you couldn't get a better description of Eric's character and right. the way he carries himself from what you just said. Yeah. I, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, prevalent in his recordings too you know like that there's a certain anytime he's he's been in a band or he's he's worked with a band the bar never drops below a certain standard and um yeah. that's part of the work ethic and intensity and, and i take that from him i take his um his intensity and his absolute commitment to getting it right i mean there's there's the um the the, the early guys like the, the, the Scott Burns of mm -hmm. you know he's he's obviously you know the the grandfather of, of modern death metal recording and and I'm a huge fan of him and I actually think he's so fascinating in, in what he was able to do back then with the technology he had and and mm -hmm. where he brought death metal and death metal production um I'm I had a friend uh, you know a few years back say that I'm I'm kind of like a heavy music chameleon and um, I like to you know I thought well that's that's yeah that's kind of it I mean sure. and, and uh, basically you know that meaning uh, I am passionate and intense about uh, early you know East Coast death metal and Florida death metal as I am. Some yeah, of the newer, yeah. newer school uh, metalcore, and and um, yeah. and I, I love uh, you know I, I love the traditional black metal as much as I love Cradle of Filth. I love um, Doom and Stoner as much as I love the polished active rock stuff. Um, and I love to immerse myself in the culture and the the um, the you know the idiosyncrasies and stuff of of those. Um, of those particular little sub sub genres, and um, yeah, I guess from the death metal thing, it's the Scott Burns and the the Mark Lewis and Jason Surkoffs. Um, from the metalcore world, it's the the Adam D's and the uh, the um, Jeff Dunes and um, and yeah. Uh, uh, Lance Prince, a guy, a guy from Melbourne. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of so many people, and I mean, even outside of that, I'm I, I think um, you know the the Eric Valentines and the uh, the the Joe Barisi's, you know, that that work in the uh, more, nice. yeah, yeah. He, I, I look at those guys as I mean, I call myself an audio engineer, but. Um, they're really engineers, you know, they can take apart pieces of gear, they can treat a room acoustically, the science yes. is not lost on them. And I think, you know, we, as far as technology progressing where it's progressed and, and the bedroom producer becoming more of a thing, some of the science is lost and, and that's okay, you know, I think everyone's got something to bring to the table, uh, technical or not, as long as you get get it across the line. But, but um, 
yeah, I'm a big fan of those traditional audio engineer guys, you know, the, the Barisis and the Eric Valentines and um, uh, Bob Clear Mountains and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And yeah, big fan of, of, and I think being a producer and an engineer, it's, um, it's uh, you, you play a, a support role throughout the whole thing and you're, you're behind the yeah. scenes and you're never in the spotlight. So there's a certain amount of empathy you have for other engineers knowing what they go through and, and, you, one can't help but to be a fan of those people, you know, once you've got a certain level of empathy for them as well. One, one name you didn't mention that I'll throw into the mix is Pete Tagtron, uh, Celtic Frost and Hayden yeah, Barber yeah, Bays, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Have, have you listened to the chat that I had with him? Yeah, 100%. In fact, I was yeah. watching um, I was watching uh, a, a, the, the Metal Evolution series uh, not too long ago. Um, and they, 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 um, that was a kind of series that spawned from the Metal Ahead Bangers Journey documentary uh, yep. that was released several years ago at this point. And um, they went into to some of the uh, the Celtic Frost and, and the, the earlier bands that that pedigree was from. Um, and yeah, huge, huge fan of that stuff too. Mm. Another, I, I believe the most complete album, gosh, this is a heck of a statement the most complete album in combination with the sound that I think the band were trying to achieve that has been achieved is Queen Shrike's Empire. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I listened, I've listened to that a lot over the, okay. I, I first heard it when it came out back in 1990, cause I'm 43. So it was an album was going on around me back then along with Skid Row and Gunners, that sort of shit. Didn't pay much attention to it, mm. but lately I've been drawn to it and Holy shit! I've got to say, Peter Collins. I think Peter Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the producer there? I don't know how he did that. Can Can you shed some insight as to how he gained such a crisp sound? Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm absolutely just gobsmacked and and like inspired and fascinated by people that were able to get those type of results in with that technology in mm. the time they did as well. I mean there's certain kind of processes and and stuff that are just as difficult these days to do well when it comes to engineering and producing and getting results out of people. But, um, um, to, to have done it back then, you, you had to be a real magician. Um, uh, to be honest, I I mean, I was talking to a a death metal band I had in a week and a half ago or so, uh, Sun Tzu and, um, they were, they were, um, they all of the guys in that band were around in the the early 90s you know thrash leading into death in in the scene in australia and we kind of got to talking a a lot about that and there was a lot of celtic frost being thrown around in that session as well Mm. um but um we got to talking about you know what was it like you know back in the day and and what was it like to to record and and they had an interesting perspective that um, was not only was the technology, you know, it, uh, different back then, but to, to be a local band at that time when metal was super underground and there weren't really many engineers doing it. I mean, there was one or two guys with a tape machine in their shed and um, they were lucky to come across those people. Uh, we kind of went into it and the consensus seemed to be that it was just a different time and the mindset was different the hours were there to put in um you had to have your shit together um 
and the budgets were bigger, especially with a band like Queens, right? Like the budgets there. Um, so you've got, you know, more time and, and um, resources to do what you need to do. Um, but yeah, it, it, as much as there is a, an element of, um, you know, wizardry, it was, it was just a different time and the mindset was different, I think. I think, you know, the, the old school guys that were able to achieve that stuff were just absolutely putting in the time. And, yeah. um, and that, you know, like, of course there are things, you know, like recording, you know, speeding up the tape head and, um, you know, recording single notes at a time or, or um, you know, punch-ins, you know, still around back then and all of that stuff but it was just putting in the time really i think and that can be said for you know any of those those landmark early early productions yeah it's interesting uh, i'm reminded of a conversation and for the life of me i cannot remember who it was but they claimed to be part of the mixing process after the fact of master of puppets right I, I didn't have any doubt to disbelieve the individual, by the way, because they were so knowledgeable and everything else, but they swore black and blue that that's exactly what Metallica had done there, mm. sped up the tape head. Yeah. And, yep. and, and I don't think that's out of the question, by the way. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, the studio, as you bloody well know, can be a yep. very difficult environment, especially with the labyrinthine arrangements that that band were going in at that time. It's, it's funny you say that, actually, because there's, uh, I'm not sure if it's, it's pretty, um, pretty uh, deep cut Metallica nerdery, but Metallica, if you play along to Master of Puppets, the tuning seems to fall around the 432 yes. uh, hertz mark. And that, uh, some people have debated back and forth on that, whether that was them wanting to just tune that that uh, bees dick lower. Uh, and other people have said, you know, maybe it's, uh, the tape has been messed with or uh, something like that. But I think there's some, there's something in that yeah. for sure. We'll never know. Look, we'll never know for sure. As I said, I can't even recall. It's just a, talking to you now. And I think it was an off the record conversation too that I had with someone, but there's, look, it's a bit like that scenario where, where, where was it Steve Lukather? The oh. rumor mill about Steve Lukather recording the Green Day albums and shit. Like, yeah, yep. there, there was, but there are, I don't know whether that happened, but that was certainly, that's the, that's the yep. wives' tale that's out there. There's yep. a ton of that shit out there, though, where yep. guys oh, like Steve yep. have stepped in to play for these so called big pop and rock stars who can't record their own shit. Yeah, I mean, at every level, that's common. I mean, I've played guitar on, on more things than I'd like to admit. Um, a bit, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the earlier days, it was, it was for me, it was just we need to get this done, we need to do it. And I mean, as I've gone on, I've found the best thing to do is just be upfront with it and go, you know, how how comfortable would you be with you know me or someone else giving this a crack? But yeah, the, I, I've heard the same stories of the Steve Lukathers and the Mike Landau's and the Tim Pierces of the world were the first call guys. I mean, it's it, the Josh Freezes and the, um, you know, yeah. uh, all of that in the, the, the drum world. Who, who was the drummer on the whole album? Sorry, I spoke to Mike about this um, celebrity skin. He's very well known. Sorry, I remember any other day of the year, but of course not right now. Right, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, hang on a second. I might just check it out because I know he's played on a bunch of shit. He was in yeah. um, the, uh, the Cacophony, I think, with um, Marty Friedman and Jason Becker. I'm sure that's the guy. Hang on, I'm just going to mm -hmm. celebrity skin drummer. 
I know because I, I remember <laughs> uh, Dean Castronova, of course. Yeah. 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 Dean Castronova yep. definitely is a drummer in uh, Cocophony as well. But you, you get guys yeah. like that that get called in to do stuff all the time when, especially drummers. 100%. You, I mean, yeah. uh, would you say that is the one instrument more often than not where you need to spend more time than or just more time? Yeah, I mean, it it re- it's uh, it depends really, but yeah, I mean, the dr- the drummer maketh the band, you know, yeah. um, it, and uh, it's the foundation for everything. And I think when that's that's a kind of uh, that scenario of the um, drummer not cutting it and and having someone else come in to to get the job done is something that I've wrestled with, and it's it's very it, it, it's contextual contextual, you know. So it's um. I've got to weigh up the level of the band and the experience they're wanting to come out with versus the result they're hoping for. And I mean, if it's a younger local band and they're um, in there to have a good time and they're uh, on their mum and dad's money, of course I'm not going to suggest we get a hot shot into redo these takes, you know, because uh, look, you know, you never know who's going to go somewhere with their music, but you yeah. have to kind of weigh up like, look, the stakes aren't very high with this band. They're young. They're getting their chops together. Let's um, let's persist and let's maybe put in an extra half session or, or put in that 17-hour that day to get these four songs where we need to get them. Or let's even just kind of lower our standards and understand what we're working on here, which is not my favourite thing to do. But And, again, I've had to, to do it less and less. But... Um, but when the stakes are higher, yeah, it's it's the drum. Everything's just got to be right. It's um, I, I don't like having to resort to chopping up note for note. I, I like to to get things right going in. Um, and of course, you know, like some of it's just got to do with um, you know production aesthetic, for lack of a better term. You know, sometimes you get things into the computer pretty tight and the genre calls for it to be tightened up even further um, because that's what, what people want to hear. But, but um, it's, yeah, it's just got to be right. And the drums are the foundation for everything. So if, you, if the drummer isn't cutting it, yeah, uh, there, there's been a scenario where I've, um, I've, I've had to have the chat with people um, uh, and I've had to bring people in or I've had to, to kind of, um, you know, do what was needed to do to get the drums to a place where they needed to be. And, um, I mean, in this day and age, I'd say from my experience, drums are probably a little bit easier to um, manipulate as long as the person is, is of a certain standard of playing. If you can, you know, if you can bring them up to 70%, then I can bring them up to 100% in the computer. Yeah. Um, and I, I struggled with um, guitarists that couldn't play well, though, and bass players too. I mean, I'm sure you know people, particularly in the metal world, uh, you know, most people might have this uh, attitude towards bass that it's a secondary thing or it doesn't matter as much as guitar. But if, if you get a bass player that doesn't know how to finesse the bass and kind of make it sing in a certain way or play dynamically when called for or to step out of the way of certain things or to come back up front when they're needed, um, it can just ruin a production and it can, um, it can 
make things go downhill pretty quickly. Um, I, I like to have base up front. I, I think base is where the heaviness comes from in terms of uh, metal and, and death metal and stuff like that. And, um, and yeah, I, I actually struggled more with, um, with guitarists that weren't up to snuff than I did drummers. And I think probably part of that is I've been editing and recording drummers for, for most of my life and, and I'm a guitarist and I never really edited myself or I, I was more about just putting in the work and getting it right. So I didn't, it's only as of the past five to, to eight years that I've gotten my head around some of the editing techniques that you need to um, take someone that, that can barely play up to a point where they they have a musical take in the computer but but yeah it's um if it's not there it's not there sometimes <laughs> no <laughs> but, you can't um, polish a turd nope nope certainly no yeah no richie told me the same thing that the bass players that he was he, he had coming down there to back beach studios i don't know whether that's still around anymore but that's where we were i remember mm. now well bloody a lot of them are bloody useless getting in there mm. and just playing either out of sync is the big yeah. deal. Not being able to keep time, for God's sake. So, yeah. uh, I mean, that, that that seems. But look, I, I've been in so many rehearsal rooms with so many, so many musicians, and I've listened back to tapes and uh, even live. I've even got some stuff up on YouTube when I was playing in the Replicants uh, around town here as a covers band. But we had a bit of a following, so we'd play in front of you know when I say fifty or sixty, it's not bad. Fifty yeah, or sixty yeah. people, you know, uh, we, we'd expect to play in front of that in the valley or the city or what have you, but. Um, you can hear the fucking guitarist going in and out of, I call it phase, you know, that's the yeah. word I term, term it, you know, it's like yeah. you going in and out and it's like, <laughs> dude, just chug, just don't try to do the James Hetfield thing, whatever, <laughs> just use alternate picking strokes. It's even, it's crisp. Yeah. You know, there's only yeah. one James Hetfield or yeah. Dave Mustaine. Don't, don't, and this is like Jesse's Girl and songs like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but you listen back to it, it's yeah. painful and the amount of times, and I'm not saying I'm the, I'm perfect, you know, by any means, but mm. I'm simply saying that I, whenever I hear the guitarist going out of phases, I call it, that's when I immediately lock it down. Yeah. Immediately I just go back to the quarter notes or the sixteens, yeah. whatever it is that we're doing, and just holding it, not doing any runs, just holding it and staring mm. across. Are you, are you, you know what's going on here? We've got to lock, we've got to come back in because it's not fun when we're trying to all trying to, you know, like a, like a wild horse trying to, you know, lasso you back in onto the, onto the, uh, you know, into the ring, so to speak. And I find with guitarists a lot, man, to your point, they're the ones um, that I've had issues with too on, on that level. Plus, I've got to say, man, some guitarists, man, their personalities. They think they're the rock star of the group, don't they? A lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. That's um, yeah, even more so than the uh, vocalist uh, at mm. times. It's um, yeah, I, I think too because you know the ambition is is higher when you grow up on on these you know uh, rock star virtuosic um, guitarists. You know, it's that's what we're all aiming for at one point, and some of us grow out of it, and some of us don't. And um, you're right. I mean, uh, I guess anybody that's that's got you playing bass in the band and, and having you anchor them back down to that is pretty fortunate because it's funny. I was actually thinking about this on a drive the other night. Um, the the fundamental role of the bass. Um, I mean, in metal, it's, it, you you know, like you you wouldn't blame someone for overlooking the fact that the bass is is still a rhythm instrument. Yeah. Um, you know, like, but for me, it's it's a bridge between the guitars and the drums, 
and um, yeah, to when when the guitarists uh, go out of phase, as you say, and um, maybe kind of s step a few feet in front of, of what's capable or what's pleasing or something like that. To have a bass player be able to to um, ground them again is is something more people need, I think. And I think that's why I'm so big on um, on working with bass players um, to to kind of craft their parts to be something that complements not only what the guitar is playing but what the drums are playing and play that role you know be the bridge between the rhythm and the melodic uh ends of the band and mm. yeah I, I i mean it comes with everybody too the overplaying thing that that can be a problem with drummers and certainly guitarists i mean i'd i'd rather hear someone doing something well executed within their abilities than only just pulling yeah, off something reaching for something which is unobtainable. Yeah, it, it, it's, exactly. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, and especially, it doesn't. I, I'm pretty fortunate at the moment, actually, because I'm in a band with Dave from the Porkers. Right, uh, right. And uh, I mean, he's if you know Dave, man, he's a fantastic guitarist. He's one of these guitarists that plays on like one and a half out of ten. He's just like, well, if you're going to play over the top of me, you're going to do it. I mean, this is a guy that's been on yep. like tours and all sorts of shit. Mm. Like he knows his shit, and mm. he just he's just got his own style, and he just plays it. He, he's what I'm saying is he's not a loud guitarist at all. But yep. when you listen back to what he's doing, it's all there. Yeah, it's yeah. all there, and it's it's a, it's a joy to work with him. The other reason why it's a joy to work with him, at the the break between sets, whatever we're talking about, the footy. Yeah, you know yeah, what I exactly. mean. He's just a cool dude, you know. And yeah. that's that's one of the things. Do, do you find that when you get into a studio, it's like the people who got their shit down pat, they're probably talking about current affairs or something like that. They're yeah. not really talking about what you're doing in the moment because you're hardwired to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I think the. The more neurotic uh, musicians I work with that are uh, always um, overanalyzing and, and always um, overreaching and stuff like that, I think that maybe that comes from a place of, of insecurity that maybe they know Great. Yeah. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, maybe they know they're playing above their ability or maybe they know there's a chance they're not pulling it off as well as they want to, that they... They uh, they overanalyze and they over scrutinize and they over prepare, and and the people that come in and are just like, as you say, talking about the footy or, or just you know general banter in between what you're doing is usually because there's a level of comfort there. You know they yeah. they know they know what to do and they've had the experience in certain situations to be able to. Um, you know, tackle whatever comes up and, you know, they're there, they know what their job is to do, they know what they're doing. No need to really talk more about it. <laughs> you know, just do the job and in the breaks talk about the footy. Oh, I can't stand it. Yeah, I, look, I, I've done a lot of turn up and play work, call it session work, call it whatever you want. Okay, sure. Playing covers, you already know the song, you just turn up and play the bloody song, so you're really just a fill-in or what have you. But, yeah, I always I picked that. As soon as I, I turned up with someone and they were studying my gear or something, like, oof. Yeah. I can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. where this is. I, know, Red flags. I, I literally use a bloody sans amp because the amount of times that I turned up and guys are like, oh, Galen Kruger. Oh, I really love Sansam. Do you have Sansam? I'm like, 
no, I don't. I use GK. Like, it doesn't even matter anyway. I mean, it doesn't, it's Ampeg, GK, Gens, Benz, whatever. It's all the fucking same at some yeah. level. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like somebody in the crowd's going to go, hmm, I can hear that Gallium Kruger. Like, <laughs> with what we're doing, it's not the point, is yeah. what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I, I ended up buying a Sansamp just so as when people looked at the rack, they could see it in there. I mean, I could, <laughs> for all they know, I could just, it is my sound these days. I've, I've learned to sort of, you know, to, to it, it's in the right place in the signal to, to chain, if you like. Yeah, so I know definitely. how to pull a decent sound out of it these days, but it was tough at first. But I literally bought it due to effectively peer pressure because I wanted to keep on <laughs> getting work. Yeah it's, yeah, it's two or three hundred bucks every time you turn up. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like, on top of your job. I mean, it's the sort of money you can put toward a holiday or a new car. Ultimately, if you, if you, especially as I was playing sort of ten years ago, every every weekend. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's it's it just it, it's ridiculous. So yeah, definitely these days. I mean. Um, a group called Velvet Kiss, and we're, we're all pretty seasoned, if I can say that. You know, we're all in our 40s sure. and 50s, and, you know, at, at this point, we've all played in so many different bands or whatever. We're all talking, you know, talking about COVID or some other shit, you know what I mean? The, the music yeah. and what we're yeah. doing, it's just, right, we're ready to play, yep, go, bang, done. You yeah. know, it's just, yeah. that's it. And, you know, we're talking about what pizza we're going to order in the second break <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. You, you all know what you're there to do. Uh, if you're... If you care and, and you're a decent enough person and you, you've got your stuff down, you'll, you'll do your job and you've done your due diligence to, to make sure you can show up and do that, yeah, what, yeah. what's the issue? And, I'm, yeah, uh, to your point, the, I've never watched a band and had a worse experience because they were using a GK over an Ampeg. Yeah. Um, I've never listened to a song and said, Man, that that song would have been way better if the guitarist was using a Rev F dual rectifier as opposed to a, you know, Line Six Spider. If it sounded good, it sounded good. If you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. You got the oh job done. It doesn't. It look. It's, uh, I, I have had some issues with guys turning up with older gear that has right. failed. Sure, okay. that's and a different story. Go, it's yeah. vintage, and I'm like, it's it's not vintage. It's just shit and old. Yeah, is it it's good? Just, <laughs> yeah, just because it's 35 years old and you haven't yeah. changed a tube probably ever doesn't mean it's going to provide a good sound. You know, exactly. It's, it's, there's, there's all of these, you know, there's myths and legends out there that people yeah. buy into, and and then they think, yeah. oh, it's, it's going to do that for this one here. And the the other issue I remember having was with, um, particular with younger musicians, mm-hmm. so. I was starting a band and you, you, you go through the I, I hate doing this by the way the cattle call I really I'd rather talk to somebody and suss them out first it actually is because of this process I'm about to explain that if I ever do it again or what have you or just talk to people now you know the assumption is you can do it you know but inviting some of the younger guys and girls I've got to say into the rehearsal studio and they again they look at the gear and they start talking about why they use the gear that they use and start mm. like I use a Les Paul Jr I don't like Les Paul standards I'm like what are you fucking talking about? (laughs) Who cares? Yeah. yeah. You've probably got the one that was on the wall there and you've made all these justification decisions around why you bought there and that's the the best. It's like nobody cares. It's like these people who bang on about the cars they drive. Yeah, yeah. It's like, did you make it? Were you part of the design and engineering (laughs) fucking process? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You listen to them prattle on about it and you're like, can can we just, can we drop it, please? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a minor thing, but when they keep banging on about it, you're like, look, you use the gear that you use. The main thing that I remember, and this is the key point, those guys who bang on about all of the things that I just mentioned, okay, they fuck up the songs. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And you're like, just learn the song. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> it ain't yeah, hard. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there, my friend. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, like, I've got a, um, in the studio, I've got this uh, Squire P bass. And I mean, I get the odd, uh, you know, kind of amateur engineer or, I mean, I even record quite a few people that I'd say, you know, like, yeah, they're pretty good engineers and, you know, like in their own right. And um, red flags are, you know, up for me when someone comes in and, and, and wants to start having the gear pissing contest or, you know, what are you using here? Why are you using oh that? Or, yeah. And that Squire P base is, is one of the, the biggest uh, kind of um, triggers for people because I'll, I'll have somebody come in and I'll be like, well, you, you're looking for the P-Bass sound, try this thing out. And, Ooh, Squire. It's like, just listen to it, uh, give it a shot. It sounds better than half of the, the vintage P-Basses or, or jazz basses I've ever heard or recorded. It's just an anomaly. It's just one of the good ones. It was. I'm not saying that if you got the exact same model that was right next to it in the store, that would be good as well. It just happens to sound good and it does the job and quite well at that. Um, just let's just, you know, let's give it a shot. Like don't, don't uh, let your, uh, your brand loyalty kind of get in the way yeah, of this result we're trying to brand get. loyalty but it's irrational yeah and, and it's i think um like sunken cost fallacy a bit too in that like yes. well i bought i bought this 2500 gibson so it must be the best and it must be the one you know it must be better than the uh, les paul jr or whatever because i bought it i spent the money and i chose it you know it's it's uh yeah it's no, I, spent, I remember going, I was in New York and I went to, um, oh, Mandolin Brothers, you know, that famous guitar shop there in, in Staten Island. Sure. And I bought an orchestra model Martin and it sounded pretty good in the store, I've got to tell you. And it was, a you know, it's a $4,000 guitar at the exchange rate at yeah. the time. Ended up getting it for about 1900 yeah. or so. Came back and after at the third gig with it, I went, this thing is a fucking shit thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'd spent yeah. a lot of money buying it, but I, I gave it to the lady who was helping us with the kids at the time. It was yeah, helping my yeah. wife, you know, with, um, you know, like a, not a nanny sort of, yeah, kind of like a nanny situation. Yeah, but yeah, she was yeah, a sure. singer and a guitarist and she didn't have a decent guitar. So I said, look, it's a Martin. Here you go. She loved it. It was perfect wow. for her. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and I thought, no, that's, you know, you, you take it, but it was shit for me. But imagine if like <laughs> something didn't work for me, I was like, no, Martin all the way, mate. You know, it's like, well, what have you got? What's it got yeah. to do with you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's exactly. It's sunken cost fallacy all the way. And, and um, it's so funny you brought that up because I've had that conversation with a few people. It's one of the worst feelings in the world to have dropped, a, you know, a considerable amount of coin on something, mm -hmm. and to have that realization where you're like. I think this thing's a piece of shit. Like it's, it's, and for me, when that happens, it's always this slow process of denial where I'm like, it, it can't be, it, it can't be. It's everything I wanted, right? It's, it's, I've wanted this for so long and it, it, it seemed great. It's, it's gotta be, maybe it's me, maybe it's me, or maybe it's the pickups, maybe it's the strings, maybe it's the setup. And it's just this slow process of going, dude, you just bought a four thousand dollar dud. It's it happens. You know? It happens, and it's it's like I think it's even my my cabinet that I've got at the moment. Based into having a sale on the uh, the Neodymium GK cabinets, mm. so but it's a four twelve, not a four ten. Yeah, 
therein right. lies the, the the issue, I think. But it's very mm. boomy, right? Yeah, and I yeah. can't I can't get the boomy away. Like, and we're mm. playing in rooms where like RSL clubs and shit, we've got a lot of space behind me. So it just amplifies it even more. Mm. And I even a Billy Lee of singer looking at going, what's going on with your sound? And it's like, yeah, it's nothing I can do at the moment unless I go and buy a, like a 410. But the issue I've got is I drive the bloody cabs too hard with mm. the plane. Right. That I, it's just a natural style. Like a, yeah, it's sort yeah. of, if, I, if I use a, I, I, I chew 400 watt cabinets up for breakfast. Yeah, I'll just, yeah. I might as well just get it and throw it <laughs> off a cliff, you know what I mean, and try and use it. Yeah, sure. Because you see the fuse light going on because it's because I'm playing a lot of slap bass too and a lot of this stuff. Right, and, uh, right, yeah. This yeah. one at least can handle it because it's 1,200 watts, so it's mm. evenly matched with the uh, 2001 Galen Kruger head. That's sure. the only thing I look at is power ratings, matching things. Yep. Yep. I don't care about brands nowadays. I just, yep. I mean, I, it might sound like I do if I'm playing all GK, but yeah. it's just a matter of just that was the only reason I bought that is because of the power rating. Yeah, yeah, it had what I, I didn't want to think about it anymore because I've, I've had situations where you you know you play and then it just cuts out. Yeah, you know, yeah, because you're overloading it. The fuse is yeah. going boom. Okay, it's off. And then it's back on again five seconds later or what have you. Like, yeah, yeah. I want to be doing that if we're playing a private party to Ramsey Health or some shit like that, which is <laughs> has happened yeah. to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, you know. And you see Tony, our sound guy, looking at me going, what's going on over there, mate? I'm like, we'll just <laughs> yeah. turn it down a little bit, knees off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too much power, too much power. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it really is like, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been guilty of it before, the brand loyalty thing, especially in my younger days, like, you know, the end um, and kind of, um, you know, the sunken cost fallacy of believing that I, you know, what I spent my money on or put my time into is the be all and end all. But these days um, I'm, I'm very utilitarian about my, yeah. my gear and my approach to things. I, I, I'm looking for the result and I really don't care what gets us there. I mean, I, I said to a band just yesterday, if, if a, you know, a pink Hello Kitty Squire guitar is the tone we're going for, give it to me any day let's go let's plug yeah. it in Let, let's use that if that's that gets us to where we need to go i'm happy um and and you know the same can be said for for bass cabs for um for guitars for for really for microphones everything you know it's just you really have to put the time in to use these things and to you know like get to know them and see if they're capable of capable Correct. of getting you it's where so you true. need to go yeah, yeah it's it's time isn't it you yeah. know just you got to sit with things and and sometimes the the you know the the uh conclusion you come to is it it, it ain't getting me where i need to go it just ain't maybe it's right for someone else but um yeah i've uh, for me once i start going down that rabbit hole of maybe I need to change pickups, maybe I need to change speakers, maybe I need to change, you know, whatever yeah. variable. Um, I'm just kind of lying to myself. Usually a piece of gear does the job or it doesn't. Um, and then there are anomalies where it's like, oh, I, I changed the pickups in this base and it, it's given me what I want now. But I find if it's, if it's not there, it's never going to be there. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, I don't care what it is. If it's there and gets us to where we go, I'm, I'm happy. So, so true, but you, 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 your comments are so true and born of so much experience. You could almost put the aftermarket hot rotting business out of business, market out of business, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. those idiots who buy these cheap 
guitars or what have you, basses or whatever, and put Bertolini pickups and then go, look, it's the same. It's yeah, the same yeah. as on Lackland. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah. and I mean, like, yeah, again, there are, there are anomalies and it's like there, there probably are, you know, like times when hot rodding something is exactly what you need to do and it, it breathed life uh, into a uh, an instrument that otherwise wasn't doing it. But if that bass isn't, rocking with the the crappy hardware out of the store i don't think you know like new hardware is gonna take it from zero to a hundred but you know if the vibe is there and the body sounds great and it's an anomaly where the the build just happened to come out right off the production line and and it just has a bit of mojo to it hell yeah chuck some some you know like some pickups and some some like awesome hardware on there and and you know awesome but like yeah it's it, it's the soul and the the vibe and the you know what you might be looking for in any application it's either there or it's not um but i don't yeah i don't think you can you can um you can get that just by modding and hot rodding alone no the the, the fellow who looks after my bases who does the luthier work on them because i've actually the neck has snapped on this one before right and, yeah. uh, i did nothing to it it was this it was music man's fault the truss rod was corroding right yeah that's yeah. what did it so i was rusting in other words but anyway he, he put i've had to exchange it you got to send the neck back to music man the busted one and then they send you another one for 400 bucks i think i ended up paying All so right. it's, it's kind right. of at a reduced rate anyway they just want to know you legit i suppose because they won't sell sure, the necks sure. outright you can't yeah. just buy a neck yeah. and put it on a on any old base sort of thing. Right, yeah. They don't want people making Frankenstein. You can yeah. do it. You just got to go and buy them or buy secondhand or whatever <laughs> yeah, and then right. do it that way. But, sure, but sure. This bloke was telling me that uh, he uh, used to – Takamini, I think, have a distribu- distributor. They don't go direct. I think, of course, they'll – have distributors in Australia. Um, But he was the fella who was the importer and would check the guitars as they came in and make sure that they're ready to be shipped out to the shops. Yeah. Might have just been Queensland. I can't recall now. But anyway, he was telling me that what he worked out from that process was so from the factory, someone checks them and the really good ones become artist series or what have you, meaning that they're given to Tom Petty or whoever it might be, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they, they need to be sort of be, be at that sort of a level. Yeah. Then underneath that, then you've got the employees and the guitar in the guitar factory themselves who hold mm-hmm. on to the good stuff. Then mm-hmm. you've got the person who might be um, putting it onto a ship from Japan or wherever it might be to Australia, who then goes through them themselves. Then you've got the bloke who unloads it even before it got to Gary even before it got to him. There was yeah, like seven yeah. or eight people that it got to before he even got to check it out and put it on the shelf, get to give it to the retailer. And then you've got mm-hmm. to keep in mind that the person in the guitar shop probably plays the hell out of it too and goes, I want to keep this one. Yeah. But it's actually, I'm not saying it's seventh or third, seventh or eighth rate. The point is the stuff that we get to play off the shelf, because I mean, how else can we buy stuff unless you know somebody in the factory? Exactly. It's, it's not, it's, it's going to have issues. And I've certainly yeah. experienced that with, every instrument that I've had, nothing has been clear cut, solid gold as the day I I took it out of the cardboard box or whatever it might've been from the day of purchase. They've all required, especially this one here, exceptional amount of work to keep them on the road, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, early on when I, I I did meet that, uh, um, Kat Johns that I was speaking of earlier that now runs the, guitar repair and uh, uh, building company, Louder Guitars, um, with her mm. partner, Chris Lau. He, um, I, pretty early on, you know, uh, through doing audio with them and stuff, um, 
became, you know, pretty good friends with, with Chris Lau, who's an amazing luthier and, um, and, you know, just the guy for guitar repair and maintenance in, in Adelaide. And, um, he, you know, kind of hanging around him, a lot of his, um, you know, attention to detail and his, his absolute kind of nerdery with, with build quality and stuff like that rubbed off on me. And, and um, at a pretty early age, I, I was noticing that, you know, I was seeing people kind of bring me guitars that they were really stoked on. I'd look at it and go like, man, the, the neck pocket's um, pretty deep on this thing. It's uh, <laughs> moving around quite a bit or like there's some uh, some pretty dodgy looking fretwork going on here and stuff like that, you know. And, and I think if you want to avoid that, you can, you've can. you got to pay the big money and, and go custom or something like that. And even at that rate, there's still human error to be factored yeah. in and stuff. But, yeah, there's really, really nothing nothing perfect about you know there's there's never a perfect instrument really it's there's always something about it but um you're right like the, the things off the shelf aren't it's not always the brand and it's not always the price tag that's gonna dictate the quality and 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 you know like bond you have to the relationship uh to the uh to the uh, instrument itself but yeah it's very true yeah, I just the reason I used to play Warwick, so I had a mm. P bass copy. We all start on them, kids, you know. And yeah. um, that was you know that was a piece of shit, but that um, that got me through my high school years. And then mm. after I left, I got a Yamaha, which was modelled on the Ibanez sound gear, um, and that was okay. Yeah. That was sort of getting there. And then the first good bass I got was a Warwick, and and that fucking thing sounded great. But when you play it, dips down like this. It <laughs> yeah, goes yeah. like almost like yeah. this. It almost forms yeah. a ninety degree angle to your body. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, I felt like Les Claypool. Like it was sort of because I sort of play because I got lessons right. So I was taught to play like a like this. I'm not saying I'm a jazz yeah. player, but yeah. I was always, what was the old saying? Hold it like as though you're about to drink a cup of coffee. That's what they were yeah. saying to me. Yeah, that's what the teacher said. So I remember thinking that's still play that way. You know, it's just habit. Right. But this thing wouldn't stay, so I ended up causing back issues, and I ended up selling it for about half of what I bought it for. You know how it is. Um, yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I bought the Music Man because I just wanted a workhorse. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just wanted something that that would do the job, and I didn't want to go down the P P base route because it just seemed a bit too old fashioned. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I love them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the Music Man stuff. It's um. Yeah, when when I'm going for a particular sound too, there's there's nothing else that will get that apart from a stingray or something, you know. Um, uh, just that, you know, very kind of bass leading scoop thing sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah. music man stingray all the way. And yeah, the the uh, the I was like, you know, the era I started playing guitar and you know the corn and and things like that yeah. were very popular. So. As a result, Ibanez was was the hot guitar to uh, to get at the time, and um, and Ibanez had the same problem. They had these really sleek, slim bodies. Um, yeah. You know, the kind of I always like felt that it reminded me of a sports car or something. You know, these these yeah. really pointy, modern, slim, sleek bodies, but and, and really thin necks. But you'd find that like. The body, the next weighed more than the bodies, and the mass was pulling it down, kind yeah. of when you're standing there with a strap. And, and some of them sounded fantastic, but it just wasn't practical and wasn't comfortable. Um, yeah. And you think, you know, you go like, well, wouldn't they, 
would QC be a thing, you know, before they, they let this guitar kind of hit hit the shelves? Um, you know, wouldn't they have tested it with a strap or seen the impracticality of having a bass that you know, or a guitar that just dips down because the mass is is uh, you know, like too heavy at one end. But um yeah, these <laughs> these things happen for sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't understand it. I, I couldn't understand, particularly with Warwick. I mean, I've, I've played a couple more of their stuff, and they they all sort of do the same thing. And the is it the horn? You know, this bit here. I don't know what like, this bit here. You know, where yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's too away, long. Yeah. Yeah, it comes up yeah. to here, and it's it's like no wonder it's doing that. It's just it's just gravity that's going to pull it down, and then the weight of the neck. To your point, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Would, would do it too, but you don't. You, you've got to play with it for a couple of weeks. What I'll add is you've got to you when you buy gear. You've got to play it in the environment in which you intended to mm-hmm. use it. Yeah, so exactly. So playing it at home yeah. on one one out of ten yeah. isn't it. You've got to play it yeah. on the seven or eight that you'll be using exactly. on stage or what have you and just seeing if when you're throwing it back off the rack if it's giving you the sound that you need. And, yeah, there's there's no other way except for trial and error because that same piece of equipment that you feel is a piece of shit can be gold in somebody mm-hmm. else's hand. Exactly, yeah, exactly. That's the way that they play. Yeah, you know? yeah, or, or in a certain environment, you know, maybe – uh, you know, that old kind of Les Paul Jr. You've got that, um, you know, the, the pitch bends if you lean on it a certain way or, or you know, doesn't intonate, uh, you know, well enough to, to play a live set with it. Maybe it's just got a magical tone and, um, you know, yeah. it, it's a, a studio, uh, a, you know, studio dweller kind of thing that's that's keep it in the studio, retune it after every take, and that's where that guitar shines and lives, you know, but you take yeah. it into the live circuit and you've played one chord too hard and it's it's gone out of tune or yeah. it's, you know, it, you've lent on it a certain way and it's it's uh, not intonating the way it should or, or something, you know, but, yeah, it's 100%. I think you, the big thing there, you say, is just putting in the time. I mean, I've I've got some friends that will they're very much into the buy and sell game and I think they're probably oh, addicted to the Yuck. they're addicted to the <laughs> trade and to the sale, you know. They're they I see them moving a ten top PRS or a, you know, Les Paul custom, you know, once every four weeks or so. And um I just think, man, like, have you spent the time with this thing yet? Like, you know, have you just simply put the time in and the done the due diligence with like you say that you know in the context that you need this thing to work have you played it through an amp or are you just playing at home through your um you know your yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah no it's all it's all use case scenario and you just got to work at it and i think you've got to give things oh you use three goes and then you're out basically you know three goes in that sort of an environment and provided you put the work in i'm not saying you just turn up and don't do anything with it but Mm. provided you've tried to tweak it and if you still can't get there we'll just try something else you know exactly yeah exactly i couldn't agree more yeah put the work in and if it ain't there it ain't there try something else Mate, we've been talking for almost two hours and I feel like we could continue to talk, but I better let you get on with your evening and uh, all the rest of it. So, um, mate, for people who want to reach out to you, I have no doubt you're available to international listeners or most, Mm -hmm. you probably where most of the people who listen to this are offshore. I think I've said my podcast is growing, but my Australian listenership is dwindling. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like Australian bands sometimes, you know, they're... I think we're up there. The Australian listeners are up there with the Canadian listeners, I think, in terms of volume these days, like less than 10%. Well, yeah. Well, you're obviously doing something right, but, yeah, it's that's a bit indicative of the music scene in itself. Sometimes the 
Australian bands get a little bit more love and attention overseas than they do, you know, at home. But <laughs> yeah, that they do. But the, the point in amongst all of that, you're, you, you know, you, you are able to provide people with a quality service, quality product, if I can call it that. So how can people reach out to you and therefore engage you with in what you're doing? Um, well, I've, I've got a website, jackhartleyaudio.com. Um, and I mean, to be quite honest, these days, most, most people just get at me through Instagram, which is yeah. uh, instagram.com forward slash uh, Jack Hartley Audio. And, um, you know, the, if you Google me, Jack Hartley Producer or Jack Hartley Audio, I'm not, not too far away. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always a, a Google away. Sweet. There you go. Mate, uh, fantastic chat. I've really enjoyed this one, by the way. Me too, um, me too. You know, it's good just to be able to riff about these things as someone who really gets what, what it is to work with musicians, be around musician, is a musician themselves. This is pretty much my sweet spot. So I really appreciate you going there and doing this. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. And again, like, thank you very much for the opportunity and, and having me on. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan. And if you keep putting them out, I'll keep listening because um, they, they do a great deal for me, you know, so... So, yeah, when I'm packing up at 2 or 3 in the morning and rolling up my cables and stuff like that, it's uh, oh, I'd much rather hear you talking to an interesting musician than uh, what's going on in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for the appreciation, brother. I, I, it means a lot, believe me. It's, it's, I've never been uh, always thrilled whenever I get that sort of feedback, believe me. Awesome, awesome. Well, there he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Hartley, producer extraordinaire hailing from Adelaide, the capital of South Australia. I might pay Jack a bit of a visit a bit later on because I need to get an audio book done and uh, after the chat finished, I introduced the subject of me potentially recording with Jack to get that particular job done. On that note, my book is available right now. Go across to scarsandguitars.com. There's a banner. Click that banner. It'll take you to a series of links. Choose your marketplace. You can download a sample before you purchase. But I hope you enjoy my book, which is focused on retelling the stories from the yarns that are featured on the Scars and Guitars podcast and maybe a couple a little beyond. Such as, did you know that I hosted the Nuclear Blast Australia podcast series and radio show as well? It was short-lived, but I still did it. And some of those conversations make Scars and Guitars, Volume 1 Conversations with musicians from the world of heavy metal, rock and beyond. I think that's a subtitle. It's easily found. As I say, just go across to the website scarsandguitars.com, click the link in the banner, and you'll go to a marketplace of your choice. There's plenty there. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Google is coming soon. I've got to say, Google. Yes, Google Books. But Apple Books is definitely there right now. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. <laughs>